0: Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics magazine on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revell. Hello and welcome
1: to Inside Speedway once again, joined as usual by Dennis Newland. And Dennis, well, it's been a fascinating week. We've got a great show too. The track champion at Guana Motorplex is, of course, Kai Blight. We speak to him and we also take a delve into the world of iRacing, which I know is something that you find fascinating.
2: Yeah, very fascinating indeed. I guess it's the way we're all trying to um, get through this uh, present situation with uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. And uh, yeah, it is, um, it is interesting. And, and I know a lot of people are interested and also a lot of drivers participating in it. So that is interesting. And, and yes, um, Kai has been one of the sensations of the season at uh, the Perth Motorplex. So certainly looking forward to talking to him as well.
1: And also the late model, national champion, let's not forget. So he's definitely that, got exactly the runs on right, the board. yes. Yeah. yeah, so... Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he, he has got the runs on the board. And the thing that I'm impressed uh, with him, um, just a manner of uh, his way he's gone about his career. So he'll tell us all about that. And um, looking forward, as I said, to talking with him.
0: Inside Speedway is available on sportsradio.com.au, iTunes, Spotify and the dirt track channel.com.
1: Well, we're heading across the country now. We we can't get in there Dennis for 14 days if we tried to get uh, over to Western Australia, but fortunately by virtue of uh, well, the internet, we're able to catch up with the Motorplex Track Champion of 2020 kai blight kai thanks for joining us here on inside speedway hey guys how are we doing today not too bad thanks yeah, mate. good
3: thanks kai how are you
1: yeah going really well enjoying myself well it's been an interesting 2020 for all uh speedway drivers and uh, you've had well you got through most of this year in fine style didn't you uh, probably the last win was a, a very important one for yourself, the Western Australian title.
3: Yeah, we had an absolutely fantastic year. Um, didn't start off too well. We hurt a motor the first round and had to sit out a little bit. But um, once we got our Gremlins fixed up, we had a really, really fast race car every time we hit the racetrack and um, had a lot of fun and, and uh, won some races. And that's always good. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess when you're winning, you're having fun, and when you're having fun, you want to keep doing it. So it was a good time. <laughs>
1: now, of course, you based yourself now out of Bunbury, but you do come from a bit further down south.
3: I do, absolutely. All my family's from a little place called Katanning. They have a population of maybe about
1: 3,500 or something like that.
3: So I um, grew up there and started racing out of Katanning. but uh, we run at the Motorplex every fortnight or so, and it's uh, about three and a half hours. Uh, up the highway
1: so it was a fair hike to get there and back so
3: moved across to Bunbury had a job opportunity so um, now it's uh, now it's hour and a half and it's much nicer
1: where did your racing start
3: yeah so my dad uh, he was racing when I was growing up he won um, four Western Australian production sedan championships so um, I, that's all I wanted to do was be like him and um, when I was 14 um, dad and I went halves in a junior sedan and I ran that for a year and a half and then I brought one of his old production sedans and then um, ran that for another couple of years won a state championship in that and then yeah progressed to modifieds we ran modifieds for three years won a state title and the, the Western Australian um, series um, but the end goal was always the race late models so I feel like we did our apprenticeship we saved up we built a bit of a, um, a sponsor base and um, with everyone's help, we are able to uh, get to late models about four years ago now.
2: Kai, do you uh, see the vital role in this day and age of Speedway? The junior sedan program, um, it, it is vital, isn't it? If you uh, a very oh. good example of of a stepping stone along the way where it all started originally in junior sedans. They are a very important
3: category of Australian speedway these days. I a hundred percent agree. And um, I, was, I was around juniors. Um, I would probably ran them for six months, I reckon. And the late models were at our, and I said to dad, I said, crikey, I'd love to race one of these. And he said, mate, you got to make sure, you know, you go through and, um, you know, tick all the boxes before you get there. Because if you're, you kind of jump the gun a little bit, yeah. You can go and race them, and then you're kind of out in two years because you're tearing up and you're costing yourself a lot of money and stuff like that, and, and you don't really get a good shot at it. So I feel like um, the juniors really gave me a um, a good baseline to start from. Um, it teaches racecraft and how to you know maintain your car at a very cheap uh, cheap rate. So um, then I and just I mean the way we went about it, it's, it's probably not the right way or wrong way or whatever, but it worked for us. You know, we could. Um, sell a junior sedan and get into the production very cheap, and then sold the production and got into a modified very cheap. So the changeover figure each time was was pretty cheap. So for us, it was um, it was a logical way to go. And I mean, this day and age, I see a lot of people. They come in all guns blazing, the big haulers, new cars, and they're uh, they're they're in a big way. And then two years later, you you don't hear from them. So um, for us, we just kind of you know built our spares package up. You know, got a truck and trailer and all that sort of stuff, and and then when the time came, we we made the jump. So.
2: It sounds to me as though, Kai, you've really prepared your career, so to speak. What was the uh, time frame here from juniors uh, to production, to modifieds, before you made the final stepping stone into a late model sedan? What are we looking at in a time frame here in your apprenticeship?
3: Uh, I think six years. Uh, so um, it was two years in juniors, two years production sedans, and. Probably oh, you know, another couple, or maybe even three in modified, I can't remember, but um, I feel like yeah, once we um, once we got up to speed and it was um, you know we're running quite well and stuff like that. I'm I'm a big believer in you know not not uh, not just hacking around trying to be you know the king of the kids kind of thing, and, and I mean that with no disrespect at all to um, to those categories. But where I wanted to be, I wanted to be the the guy that was racing late models. Um, competitively each week so um, for me it wasn't a matter of you know trying to get 100 trophies in the cabinet or anything like that it was it was where we wanted to be with late models and, and that's what we worked towards. bit about uh, the late model that you are running because late models uh, have
2: come of age in Australia and a number of different chassis companies producing late model sedans these days. Some and a lot of the cars, I might add, are imported from America, so how did you go about, what sort of late model do you run, what sort of car
3: did you initially buy, and how did it all come together? Yeah, so our first car, I um, I grew up idolising Brad Blake, I thought he was, um, I thought the sun shined out of his bum, so to speak, he was uh, he was my idol growing up, and he uh, he had a car for sale that we ended up buying at a very fair price, so we got into a, a rocket chassis there, and um, started about Christmas time, I think, by the time we got everything ready. And they have a USA Invasion tour that they run over the Christmas, New Year period. So we ran the four nights there. And the last night, we actually, we had a motor problem running, it was either second or third. So um, when I went to take my motor into Jason Moyle, he was a Revolution chassis dealer. So he said to me, look, you know, if we do the motor, we can do a really good deal on a brand new frame. And so then I raced Revolutions for the next two years, and in those two years, I was lucky enough to go to America and spend some time over there. And then I got um, got hooked up with the guys at Longhorn Chassis from uh, from North Carolina. And that's what we've been in the last three years. And I feel like um, those cars really fit my style. And they're really, really, really nicely built cars. So uh, we actually sold our car after the Western Australian title, um, the one that we are ran this year. So. Uh, we ordered a brand new frame which is actually sitting in North Carolina at the moment but with everything going on uh, I'm not sure when we'll get it or, or anything like that but uh, I have a new frame sitting over there waiting waiting to get sent over.
1: Mm. Now you're being very modest because I know of at least one national championship that you hold and uh, of course the car you've just sold had the big number one on the side. Yeah, I um, my dad was against
3: selling that car. He, he wanted to keep keep running it and um, you know when you're when you win an Australian championship you always want to you know defend it to make sure you know it wasn't a fluke or anything like that so um, he thought that maybe keeping that car was the best option to um, you know try and defend the title but um, look you got to you got to keep upgrading and, and moving along and, and we thought that the time was, uh, time was now to sell and trying to get into something new and Probably looking now, uh, I should have kept that car the way the dollar is and stuff like that. But um, we're excited about a new piece, um, something fresh and and yeah, it was a uh, it was a good year with that thing, and and uh, hopefully the new car is uh, replicated and we can go again.
1: Now you're racing over in the states, as you said, up against guys like Scott Bloomquist and some of the legends of uh, sedan racing yeah, over in the US.
3: Yeah, I was very fortunate with the thanks um, to Paul and Alice Stubber. They gave me an opportunity this off season to go over and run six races over there. And the last race we ran was the World One Hundred at Eldora. And that was just that was fantastic. I I was so thankful for the opportunity and uh, we had um, we qualified well enough to hit the invert and we started on the front row of our heat race on a Thursday night and we're leading and must have ran over to blew a right rear tire so that knocked us out of the heat race but um the friday we again qualified decent and hit the invert well and we actually got to win that heat race on the friday at eldora to um to see the, the the fireworks and uh the crowd and stuff like that was just unbelievable you know the atmosphere was awesome and um i was very very lucky to um to be a part of it all and we learnt a lot and I think uh, because of that opportunity was um, was the reason we got to come back home and, and run pretty good. Kai, um, that is a great uh,
2: honour to race particularly at a venue like Eldora and, and competing against the best in America. What was the one thing you came away with that you learnt that really inspired you when you came back to Australia?
3: Oh, there was so much. Um, I remember one uh, one instance, I just the the Friday night feature race. I started out of four, and the guy from PSP uh, put a slide job on me, and he come across the front of me. And because we're running like two hundred k an hour, you know, aero is so important. He's come across the across the front of me, and just the air has come off the off the nose of the car, and it's just lifted me up. And I I just got in the fence, and um, I thought, wow, you know, aero is so important in these cars. So you have to make sure each each corner of the car is still intact. You um, have to make sure you don't follow cars too closely because you need the air pushing on the nose to make sure you can steer, and and you just have to be so straight and so smooth in the slick there. You know, if, if you miss the line, they're going to go past you each side. So it's really about you know making sure you know where you are on the racetrack, where the moisture is, and just keeping the car straight. So um, there's a lot to learn, and I've still got a lot to learn, but uh, that opportunity certainly did teach me a lot. Going from
2: uh, the, the the relatively shorter tracks um, in Australia and a, and of course the wide open spaces of say an Eldora, did you have any difficulty making the adjustment in the speed ratio? Um, and and if if so, what, how did you adjust?
3: Yeah, I um I watched a lot of video, quite a lot of video and um, in car footage and stuff like that to kind of get acclimatised, but. Uh, for whatever reason, that place just kind of clicked when it was uh, booked up and we're running running low, uh, low lap times. We're actually um, quite good. But when it flicked off, that's when I, I um, struggled just a whisker because um, you still have to run so hard. Over here, when it flicks off, you really have to slow yourself down and make sure you stay in that lane. Where over there, you still have to charge the corner enough to to carry speed and have the lateral load on the car where it's planted. So. Um, for me, that took a little bit, but um, yeah, I was, I was pretty fortunate to, um, to, yeah, acclimatize myself quite well with that track. But we went to another place that was called um, a place called Oakshade in Ohio, and that place was um, a bit of an eye-opener. Very, very small, very slick, and you really had to be so smooth on the throttle. It was, you know, caught a throttle at most down the straightaway, so you didn't spin, and, and that place was fantastic. That's where I was the night before Eldora. So we went from running about... 80K an hour down the straightaway to run in over 200. So um, just the opportunity to run at those different tracks um, really, really helped me when I got home. Do you have any
2: intentions, uh, when we can all travel again, that is, uh, going back to America perhaps later this year or or 2021? Yeah,
3: I absolutely do. Um, That's what I've been gearing up for the last two or three years is to – to get across there and, uh, put our best foot forward so we can, uh, we can do this for a living. So, um, Paul and Alice Stubber have given me an opportunity to go back over again, um, when everything clears up. So we'll, uh, see how we go with that. And who knows what, what'll happen there. We're, um, working quite hard on some sponsorship and stuff like that to, um, to make it all a reality. But, um, yeah, absolutely my goal is to be over there and, and, uh, and doing this full time. Absolutely.
1: Well, up until you can get yourself back into the seat, you've been going into the virtual racing world like, well, so many in motorsport have been. What's been your previous experience of iRacing Speedway and then your experience now over the last uh, month or so?
3: Yeah, I got iRacing probably two months ago. And when I first got on it, I spent a bit of time and, and then you get to race and, you know, in real life and, and it, and kind of just sits there collecting dust. But, um, once the season finished, I didn't obviously have too much else to do in the shed. So the time I used to spend in the shed, I, uh, I hop on the computer and, uh, I have a lot to learn and I have a lot to improve on, but, uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, the guys that you race against, um, they're on there as well. And you, you can, uh, get to still, you know, feed the competitive, uh, juices i suppose and yeah it's it's been a lot of fun i um the setups and stuff like that are quite different to what we use but uh, it's very very realistic as far as a, a computer game is that's for sure and
1: is it something that you might be able to use for tracks when you do go back to the states because there's quite a few tracks mapped over there
3: yeah i uh i heard
1: that what they do is they take an aerial shot and they scan it
3: The the tracks are supposed to be very, very similar. Um, I know the late-model stuff's a little bit different to drive, so um, I think, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a tool you can use. Um, I'm not sure anything replaces, you know, an actual seat on a a real race car, but, uh, man, it's got to help a lot more than just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, I'm sure of it.
2: Do you, um, Kai, do you see yourself... um...
3: Uh, you, you're obviously a racer through
2: and through. We get that impression very clearly, yeah, how you've explained your career. Do you ever see yourself taking another direction and going into sprint car racing one
3: day? No. At this stage, I'm 100% late models. I um, I don't want to, in, in racing, you know, Vette Supercars or racing NASCAR or anything like that. I'm all about racing uh, Racing dirt late models. Um but, hey, I'm sure if the opportunity arose, we'd certainly look at it. But uh, for right now, it's uh, wherever Dirt Lane models can take us. That's what we're going to uh, grab and run with for sure. So how old are you, Kai?
2: And and what do you do from Monday to Friday for a living?
3: So I'm 26. And uh, Monday to Friday, I actually work for, for Paul Stubber. And uh, I maintain all his race car stuff. And I think... Um, people probably think it's a little weird or whatever, you know, racing against your boss. But, uh, for us, it works quite well. We have different brands of chassis and, uh, we both want to see each other run really well. And, um, I'm not sure it's an ego thing or whatever. I really, really want to make sure Paul's car is as good as possible because I can't, uh, I can't, you know, go to sleep at night knowing I've done something that's, you know, caused, uh, caused a drama for him. So, um, for us, it works quite well and I really, really enjoy it. But, um, before that, we're uh, we're back in Katanning working uh, as an auto electrician with the family business. So uh, yeah, I guess it's a bit of a change up. But uh, right now, I'm having a lot of fun. And uh, uh, as far as uh, as far as Financially, probably not the greatest uh, greatest choice I've made in my career, but uh, definitely as far as a life choice, it's been absolutely fantastic.
2: Well, Kai, and I guess to the, sorry, Craig, I'll just say I guess uh, there's one thing here, Kai, that if you enjoy your work, the monetary side of it is uh, probably not overly that important, and obviously working within the racing industry and you get you to appreciate how the car's putting them together, how they work under certain conditions. It's probably a great learning curve for you, Kai.
3: Oh, it really is. Um, The ability to to have your hands on it, to feel it, touch it, look at it, everything like that every day, things just become second nature. Um, You know, when I go home and work on my car, it's exactly the same as what I've done all day long. So it's, uh, it, it really is second nature to um, to build a nose or to, to put it back together or, or whatever it is. So um, it definitely helps out my racing and uh, it's a lot of fun at the same time.
1: Well, Kai, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Speedway and uh, we wish you all the best with the rest of your racing season because we really honestly don't know when you'll be uh, getting a new car from Charlotte.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I, um, I do appreciate the call, guys. It's always good to uh, to have a chat, and uh, I think I'll hop on the computer now and, and see if we can't get a little better. <laughs> I like I like the way you're talking there, Kai.
1: <laughs> Best <laughs> of luck
3: in your future racing career. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and have a good night.
1: Well, everyone's talking iRacing, and so here at Inside Speedway, we thought we would find out a bit more about it. We're joined by Alan Tacken, who on the weekend held the iRacing, racing or the virtual um, Queensland speed car title. Interestingly enough, at Kokomo Speedway in Indiana, Alan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
4: Yeah, thanks for thanks for the invite, guys. It'd be good to um, try and get some more exposure and and um, maybe get some more races onto iRacing. racing. What
1: for the uneducated amongst us? What is iRacing?
4: racing? Uh, so i racing is a web uh, web based platform um that you sign into and you you pay monthly subscription to be able to uh race uh online against uh other people um iRacing itself does a lot of hard work in uh scanning tracks and cars and stuff so it's they try and make it as real life as possible uh for argument's sake you run down the back straight uh uh, down conrad straight at bathurst and you hit a bump there's a 100% chance that that bump will be there in real life as well.
1: Now, interestingly, it can do all manner of types of motorsport. Circuit racing, as you mentioned, Mount Panorama at Bathurst and also Speedway. I don't know if it gets into drag racing, but uh, certainly most recently we've seen what uh, iRacing can do with Caden Brown, a, a real life racer, being able to come in and win the virtual Queensland title.
4: Yeah, um, we find that there's uh, a lot of real life races uh, using the platform, uh, especially in the downtime at the moment. But um, generally in the off season, there's a lot of uh, of real life races. Um, you know, the the outlaw guys are on there uh, on the dirt platform. Um, a lot of the USAC guys are on there, so you can enter a lobby and uh, you know, there's a fair chance you could be racing against one of your childhood heroes as well. So it's pretty unique in, in that way. It brings sort of the two worlds together, fans and, and actual racers. But, um, yeah, Caden Brown, um, you know, you, outside of Speedway, um, you know, people sort of look at him and probably too scared to approach him, but he's one of the most approachable, really nice guys on the service and, and obviously in our um, in our Speedway game. So, um, you know, it gives you a different perspective on the drivers as well. It's not just a, um, you know, get in and race. There's a really, really tight-knit community um, that, sort of try and do their best to help you out where, where possible as well. Alan,
2: how did you pull all this together? I know it's because uh, of the virus situation, but how did you assemble all the people to be involved with races? Was it point-to-point contact, or how did you go about it?
4: Uh, it was actually a Facebook group that was created, um, just a, a messenger, and um, I, uh, I got added to this group, and... Uh, having experience running uh, a Wednesday night league called Midget Super League, I thought, well, I'll um, I'll see what's going on here and see where I can help out. And um, so I sort of asked a few questions within the group. Um, got some answers back that were like, oh, this is uh, this isn't really well organised at all. They don't know what they're doing. So uh, I spoke to Nathan Mazers and um, Dylan Byrne, who put up the money, and um, Michael Harders as well wanted the um the quick time award there so um i spoke to mainly nathan and dylan to begin with um about sort of what their plan was how they wanted to run it um and they're like I-, I don't know man um we need as much help as we can get so um me being who i am and just enjoy seeing events run properly and um you know seeing people have a good time i thought well i can get on this and, and help them out and um, what we put on was what I believe was quite a good show. It's um, pretty difficult, I'll be honest, being chief Stewart and being a commentator. But <laughs> that's uh, that was just sort of the way that the cookie crumbled. I know Mark Brown wasn't too happy with a couple of my calls, but we'll, we'll let them ones go.
2: <laughs> you? What was it Kokomo Co- 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 Speedway in Indiana?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Queensland um, t- the title. Yeah, exactly right. So last year, um, the Queensland title was actually held in Lismore. So. Um, maybe uh, not, not putting any crap on the tracks in Queensland, but maybe they need to step up their game a bit, get the titles back. Indeed.
1: Look, uh, how did you, how many tracks, how many speedways are there on iRacing that you could plug in?
4: Um, look, off the top of my head, I don't know the exact figure, but there's probably about 10 different tracks. Um, there's five sort of bull rings like Kokomo, uh, Limeland Speedway, uh, Fairbury, and then you've got your bigger tracks as well, like Knoxville, Aldora, um, Charlotte. They've just added Lernerville to the service as well, which um, a, a lot of people are trying to get used to not having the wall there to catch them. <laughs> so um, yeah, there's, and then there's sort of generated tracks as well that are uh, originally or are uh, tarmac, um, but iRacing thought they put some dirt on it just to. Um, add some extra contact for, uh, content for us. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a vast variety and it's, it's awesome. You can run midgets, spring cars, um, late models, uh, UMPs, and dirt uh, street stocks. I think, and legend cars, sorry. So, yeah, but if you had the desire too to put a NASCAR or a V8 supercar onto the dirt, you can do that as
1: well.
0: Mm.
1: The interesting thing is you were able to get – Inksane's Tattoo Studio, Next Gen Racing, all on board to be able to put up some money, which naturally then would introduce interest some real race drivers who are uh, looking for a quid at the moment because they're not getting any putting themselves in a race car.
4: Yeah, um, with all of these events that we run, um, it's not possible without the sponsorship. Um, So obviously, you know, having uh, Inksane, Tattoo Studios, Next Gen uh, come on board was was pretty uh, awesome which also opens their business up to a new audience i guess in a way as well um you know we've uh, it's opened them up to an international audience um i know for a fact on our stream on the weekend there were people uh, watching in the uk um there's people watching in america so um yeah sort of the i guess the reach is endless really with this with this platform and um you know it's a lot of people take it just as seriously as they do as, as in real life. I mean, there's guys out there with, um, with sim setups that are worth just as much as what a, a midget would cost type of thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's an awesome, awesome platform to, to bring, as I said, the two worlds together. Um, you know, it's pretty cool turning laps. Like I'm a, I'm a massive Kyle Larson fan and Tony Stewart fan. So being able to turn laps against those guys, um, which, you know, I, I, normal, I would never, ever get the opportunity to do, um, is pretty amazing. And then to talk to them in a really, really relaxed atmosphere is amazing as well.
1: I think that is also one of the amazing things is before, after, and in some cases, even during the races, you can speak to one or more of the competitors there.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, with uh, with some of the real world drivers, it's really good to be able to pick their brain and Um, sort of find out you know how how close is the sim to real life Um, you know and a lot of them come back with the response of without the you know you're you're adding the g-forces and it's pretty much the same Um, a lot of them say it's quite different as well Um, you know getting advice around um, how a car should be set up and how it should react um, you know from the guys that that know what they're talking about is is phenomenal Um, which gives you a better understanding when you go to your racetrack on a weekend seeing a car um push mid-corner you know that it's it's tight and the driver's probably fighting and it's not actually the mistake of the driver um so yeah get, just getting that sort of more um basic understanding i guess of, of the sport in which we all love and and watch um so yeah to really understand again what the track's doing what the car's doing um you know was that a driver fault or was that was that you know a setup fault so um yeah it's Helped me a lot too with my kids. My kids both race go karts, so uh, understanding even those little things a little bit more makes it more enjoyable for them, and and hopefully you know they they then become the future of, uh, of our motorsport as well. You
1: mentioned that you're running a Wednesday night league. How can people come and watch your races if they're not actually involved in the sim itself?
4: Yeah, so we've um we're really lucky in um one of one of our really good friends. Um, who we met through simulation um, in Brett Wheeler. He runs his own dirt channel called Ultimate Dirt TV, and he broadcasts all of our races um, live. Uh, so if you jump on Facebook on um, and and like Ultimate Dirt TV, or you can alternatively you can like um, Midget Super League uh, iRacing, and it will. Um, we also go uh, like we put up all the feeds and stuff for our races. We have. Um, unfortunately, the the servers aren't big enough, but we have over 200 competitors in our league, um, and only 60 of them make the cut on a Wednesday night. So, uh, it is a case of first in, best dress, But um, so it is a case of first in, best dressed. But we still we still see that the the best guys get in there and um, and run toe to toe. Currently, our points leader is um, Harry Stewart, um, who's actually the son of. Uh, Robbie Stewart. Um, for those that don't know, Robbie is a compact speed car racer here in Queensland, and he's um, you know won multiple state champions. Rob um, Harry's also the, uh, the nephew of um, Darren Vine, which anyone in Australia, I don't think Darren Vine needs any introduction at all. Um, so you know, speedway's in his blood, and he, uh, from what I understand, he's going to be stepping into the mid uh, into the compact next year. Um, and he's using this as a as a platform to try and launch himself into the compact and be comfortable straight away. So, uh, a lot of opportunities offered here on the, on the sim, anyway. And how many
1: real life speed car, sprint car, and other discipline race drivers are part of the midget super league? Oh, uh, look, there would
4: be easily thirty drivers that have some sort of real life experience. Um, you know, Caden Brown, uh, Aaron Kelly, um, Brady Baldwin, who uh, obviously had that big wreck just before uh, Christmas or just after Christmas there um, in the Wingless. Um, Bradley Oldfield, son of Jamie Oldfield uh, from from WA, Jock Goodyear, a contracted world series driver. So there's there are a lot of lot of drivers that get on um, and and race in the Midget Super League. Um, Austin McCall, everyone, everyone would know Austin McCall from uh, races out of Knoxville there. He, um, he tries to get on, but unfortunately, uh, we run a little bit too early in the morning for him. Um, but yeah, it's, honestly, it's amazing to see uh, the, the real life races get in there. Um, you know, just recently, uh, not on Midget Super League, but um, in other shows that I've ran, we've had um, Shane Van Gisbergen jump in, uh, run around with us as well. Uh, just seen recently too. Cam Waters is a little bit more active, especially on the speedway side of things. So, um, yeah, it's you could you could name drop all day um, with the amount of people and the amount of interest that are that's occurring on sim racing now as well. Alan,
2: um, I just just want to ask you this: uh, this has all come about quite obviously, and uh, I mean it is a good newsworthy topic that we are talking about. It's it's how people. Uh, getting around uh, the coronavirus uh, isolation situation. And what you're doing is absolutely fabulous. I must uh, really commend you for this. But um, what happens when everything goes back to normal and there's real racing again? Um, where does this put you going into the future when everything's back to normal? Will you still have the necessity to make sure these events happen or will it be less important? lesser priority or what, what do you see? Because let's face it, it's only because of the virus that most of this has come about.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, I I myself haven't spoken with Speedway uh, Australia but um, I've spoken to a few people that are sort of involved with some of the events that Speedway Australia put on and um, their feedback to me is um, that, Feeway Australia want to stay involved with this moving forward. Um, they see it as a, a really good platform, obviously, for up-and-coming drivers. They might be able to use it. Um, obviously, they have the Rising Stars program. So, you know, this might be something that they might be able to use with um, with these young kids coming through the sport as well. So, um, as my understanding standing is that Feeway Australia do want to stick around with this. Me, personally, I'll still continue to organize my league like I did before the coronavirus um, and will continue to go on after um, sim racing's uh, Probably more speedway has come into the limelight, obviously because of the coronavirus, but it's always been something that a lot of drivers use um, anyway, as a, you know, a training um, run for them. Um, so I don't, I, I can see some people sort of stepping away from it and, you know, more focus on real world, but this gives something, um, to do, uh, for like rain outs or the off season, anything like that. So, um, we do see a big spike in, uh, in when it's rained out, drivers jump on, um, and run around with us. Um, you know, Brendan Palmer when he doesn't have PC problems is a, is one that's on all the time. Um, you know, and a lot of years in midgets and compacts as well. So, um, And and he brings, obviously, with his um, crowd of people that he helps out at the speedway, he brings in a whole crowd of people. So I don't really see it, like, probably the exposure and, and, um, you know, the Fox Sports broadcast and that sort of stuff will probably die off. But um, in terms of, you know, uh, participation, I don't think it will. Um, You know, there's people always keen to get their name out there too. Like, I run my own sim team as well. Um, and, you know, we're, we're able to attract sponsorship with that as well to p- help pay for things like subscriptions, computer upgrades, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's not just, um, not just all the coronavirus, as you mentioned, did bring a big sort of influx into it, but I think that the, um, it'll still be here. And still be just as popular, I think. Um, after all, the coronavirus was gone. When did you fi- when did you start the Midget Super League? Um, we started the Midget Super League sort of middle of last year. Um, we heard that uh, another series um, that was running called Dirt Leagues Australia um, was closing its doors because the two guys that were organising it just didn't have the time um, and the um, the energy to put into what uh, was needed. So. Um, They sort of, yeah, decided to close up doors and then I was a regular competitor in that one and I actually sort of got a team around me and said, you know, what do you guys think about this? Uh, They all loved the idea. Um, So we we put forward, we ran um, the same time as what they were running on a Wednesday night so competitors didn't have to change the schedule. Um, And yeah, um, one thing that's really helped the series is a lot of the series out there, um, people Sort of racing them, and they admin them, and it's it's just a nightmare. Um, you can't keep an eye on everything. So, um, with our team, it's you're either an admin or you're a racer. Um, so, um, yeah, with the with the admin team, we get in. We we very rarely miss too much. Um, I will say we do make mistakes, but um, you know we do our best to sort of call it straight down the line. And um, drivers really appreciate it. We tried to bring something that was closer to real life, so. Limiting, so when you get into a server, you can have 30 minutes of practice. So guys just go out there, rip, rip the track up for 30 minutes, and then you progress into your heats or you're qualifying in your heats, and it's the track's already destroyed. It's one lane on the top or one lane on the bottom. So we've gone in, we've limited the amount of hot laps that they do, so the track is actually decent for the whole night. Um, we've gone to a, this year we we done quality, inverted the top eight. Sorry, last year we inverted the top eight. Um, and made the top eight come through the field to try and get into the feature, but we sort of found that it was a little bit unfair to the guys that qualified on top. Um, so we've gone to random heats this year um, with passing points. So one of our team members runs a spreadsheet. Uh, we know who sort of who's, uh, who's up there on points and um, then we rearranged the top, I think it's 18 um, based on their points through their heat and then obviously we take four from the um, from the B main. So um, yeah, we try and bring it as real life as possible. We tell the drivers um, with the open communication, it is one way. Um, if you get handed down a decision by the chief steward, then you, know, you need to respect it. Um, if you don't, there's penalties that incur with that like it does in real life. Um, but yeah, everything's sort of, um, we, as I said, we try and keep it as close to real life as possible.
1: And how long is a night in the Midget Super League?
4: Uh, generally about an hour and a half, um, depending on uh, how long the, the pole shuffle takes and um, the, the A main, because uh, iRacing have a few bugs at the moment with their um, uh, yellow laps. So when we first started on the service, yellow flag laps would count, and we know in real life that doesn't happen. So you go into a 30-lap race, you have four portions, you lose half your race, and it was quite frustrating from... racer's point of view especially if you've had you know a bad night you've had to start from the back of the bus you can't can't make your way forward in half a race so we um we've opted to go with um admin cautions but we put um so we extend the laps out. so for for a feature race it would be 40 laps or 35 tonight um we'd put up the server with 102 laps so that um, every time there's a yellow, we just had on three laps. So the boys are getting 35 la- uh, racing laps, um, which we found works really well. So depending on how many cautions, um, generally the night's sort of done within, within an hour and 15 to an hour and a half. So yeah, you can still spend time with the kids and the missus night time, which is great.
1: <laughs> well, Alan, it's been a pleasure to find out more about, uh, iRacing and about the Midget Super League. Finally, has anyone approached you to do any more state titles or even a, a uh, Speedway Australia Speed Car National or Sprint Wingless Sprint Car National title?
4: Um, we have had a few people um, approach us. So um, Alan Sollett, who's a cameraman here uh, for Ash Media, um, his dad Shane. Uh, passed away a couple of years ago, so last year we w- we ran the inaugural Shane Solit Memorial, and that one's coming up again um, at Linear Speedway, um, calling it 60 for Shane. Um, so, if there's anyone listening that um, wants to sponsor the event, um, obviously, um, if they can get in touch with me at Major Super League, or um, even try and find me on Facebook, um, that that'd be fine. Um, Nathan Mazes and um, Dylan Byrne want to do the 50 lapper um, as well, which will probably be at Lima land. Um, There's a lot of guys sort of just coming forward with real life events that have been canceled um, that they want to try and run. Um, We're in talks at the moment with, um, with Nigel from Scorpion race where about potentially running a little mini series as well. Nigel um, had a, I think it was a sedan race scheduled for, um, New South Wales, and obviously with this whole virus thing, it's been been cancelled. So um, keep an eye out for that one too, because we're going to try and do things a little bit differently, uh, try and bring a, little, bring a little bit more entertainment for um, the people watching at home, um, so bringing in those real-life races into the booth while they're racing. Um, and obviously sim races as well, everyone was want to see their favourite son or whatever um, racing. So just doing things a little bit differently to try and bring a different dynamic um, to a computer-based game, it's kind of hard to get, um, you know, girls with umbrellas walking around the track, or you know, get the kids' bike races happening on on online. So, yeah. But um, in terms of Speedway Australia, um, I will be talking to them pretty soon about looking at running a midget title. Um, I think it's something that's long overdue on the sim. Uh, to be, you know, properly recognised by the governing body would be awesome.
1: Well, Alan, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you here today, and uh, we look forward to seeing how iRacing and the Midget Super League progresses uh, in, through, beyond the coronavirus. Thank you.
4: No, um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how it goes after this, and um, yeah, if anyone else wants any help getting on on board with sim racing as well, again, don't hesitate. Hesitate. Sorry. Please don't hesitate to contact. Um, Me, I would be more than happy to give you guys a hand to set yourselves up and um, see you going round fast.
1: Well, two fascinating uh, people to speak to on Inside Speedway this week, Dennis Newland. And uh, I know now that you're getting yourself set for uh, your first outing in iRacing. Oh, is that right? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh look, it's it's. Uh, I guess it's the uh, the. Don't forget, Craig. I'm I'm an old typewriter boy. Okay. I reckon okay if they the
1: if era. they made the Sydney Showground on there, you would be oh. in it.
2: <laughs> oh, geez, where can I go to get signed up for a subscription? <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, look, it it is. It's a it's a wonderful innovation and. And, you know, the, the fascinating thing that I, I, I just wanted to know is the fact that, you know, this is what's happening right now, and, and it is great. I mean, it's real as far as as close as you can get to the real thing, but, you know, when this uh, coronavirus pandemic moves on, what happens to all of this now? And I, and. And I think he gave us a pretty good answer to that. And, and it probably does, it, it probably allows drivers to, to literally do some seat time away from the track when they're not actually in the real thing, you know. Mm. So it's probably looking into the future a bit with all of this technology as well, which is a good thing. And um, it, it's just um, fascinated me, the interview, to be honest with you.
1: It did. And I also enjoyed the fact that it is so accessible, and his Super League had so many people in it that they had to pre-qualify. So you know, it goes. There is a lot of people yeah. out there, and not just in Australia. This is a worldwide league that he's managing.
2: Oh, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, it's a big thing. There's no question of that. And and I admire um, uh, uh, Alan for, for what he what he's done. Um, just just fabulous. Um, it uh, really is, and Gary, yeah, he's got he's got a worldwide audience. That's that's pretty
1: incredible in its own right. I tell you. Yes, and now we should wrap it up with something that's happened again in the iRacing platform, but in NASCAR because it does impact on Speedway, and that is Kyle Larson has indefinitely been stood down from NASCAR Racing. World of Outlaws say he's going to have to undergo a, uh, a cultural awareness program, or words to that effect. He's lost sponsors. Chip Ganassi sacked him, all because he used a racial slur on an open mic yeah. whilst gaming. Yeah, it's pretty heavy stuff,
2: isn't it, Craig? I mean, um, I guess, how do you look at this? Now, OK, um these competitors, be they bike riders or car drivers, you know, they're competitive people. Um, it. I prefer to look upon this as a heat-of-the-moment statement that if he could rewind it for 10 seconds knowing what he would say, he wouldn't have said it. Mm. But in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the competition, these people are alter. Ultra competitive; it's a confrontational sport. So, you know, it's we've seen it. We've seen it with football players dropping the F word in an interview after a match because they're still they're, they're running so high on emotion. Um, so, you know, I don't know. You, you know, I, I I just prefer to look upon it as, well, well, firstly, very, very, very unfortunate, and it's cost Kyle Larson dearly. So people are looking at it with a dim view and very seriously, and I guess they have to, um, but, you know, I guess I'm a little bit the other way, a little bit of maybe leniency that, um, as I just said, you know, if he had his opportunity to rewind it in his life of 10 or 20 seconds beforehand, knowing what he was going to say, I bet you he would not have said it,
1: Mm -hmm. you know.
2: So... But anyway, he's paid the ultimate price in a lot of areas. And, it, and, and you know, he's such a competitive person and a high-profile person. I think that goes with the territory as well.
1: Yeah, that,
2: I mean, his name is out there everywhere.
1: Well, to think he was racing down here just earlier this year, there would be so many uh, Speedway fans, Australian Speedway fans, that had just built a connection and rapport with him through that tour. Very, very definitely. Mm. Mm. Very, very definitely. So,
2: it is unfortunate. It is regrettable. And but, but as I say, if he had his chance to do it over again, would he do it? I'd say no.
1: It's also interesting to see how involved and in, and engaged with the game he was that he would have such a strong emotional reaction.
2: Yeah. Well, as I say, these these are competitive people. You know. Um, they, it's, it's, it's only about winning that's all that counts and, and you know like uh, you, you only look at some of the all time great competitors who had such a fixation for winning you couldn't get any better example than AJ Foyt mm. Steve Kinzer and Sam Swindell uh, their whole life you know running second was, was, was first loser you know it wasn't running second it was the first loser you know um, so I think, that, and, you know, that's that's been quoted over the years. So you know, it all evolves around a lot. And uh, but again, I suppose when we look at competitors and being in the public eye, being in the media eye, be it mainstream sports media, social media, you name it, they've got to be they've got to be on their guard. Now I've been very critical over the years of Ty Wolfenden, the world solo champion because he has used the unforgivable, unacceptable, intolerable F-word on live TV during an interview, and not once. So, you know, there there is a bit of decorum required here and a bit of responsibility as well. And, um, you know, the, these people have got to be careful. Ty has probably learned a few lessons out of that as well. But... You know, with Kyle Larson as well, um, I wouldn't necessarily rate Kyle like Ty has been known to do this on more than one occasion. You know what's happened here with Kyle Larson. As I say, he's um, he's he's paid the ultimate price. So I guess I guess where he goes to from here, well, who knows? I mean, this is a massive setback in his career. There's
1: no doubt about it. Mm. Yeah. And so whilst. You've got to
2: be on your guard when it comes to media.
1: Yeah. And whilst know? we're not excusing his behavior at all, um, it is my experience 30 years ago. I spent a year and a half working in and around motor racing and mostly speedway. Well, all speedway whilst I was in the States. That sentiment, or it, it was a very racist uh, sport. Mm. Now, I'm talking 1991. Yep, yep. Somehow, I don't yeah. think it's changed that much. Yep. Well,
2: I I agree, but you know what? I have another viewpoint as well. When it comes to media, doesn't matter what it is, if you're a name, if you're in front of a a live TV, um, you know, a live interview on TV, you've got to be so careful what you say, and. Some of, the, you know, some of the all-time great competitors, I, I use an example, Ivan Major, even in the heat of the battle, was always polite with the, with the interview. He never slurred, he never made any, any derogatory comments, he never used foul language. And to me, if you want a role model in in, in we're talking Speedway here specifically, uh, you couldn't get anyone better than Ivan Major. Um, you know, he was responsible awareness he possessed of, of media, and I guess, I guess I just hope, the one thing that I do hope out of this, Kyle Larson has learnt something, you know, and he doesn't do it again, Yeah. well I don't think he'll do it again because the losses are too great as it stands anyway.
1: Exactly right, yeah. All right, Dennis, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you again here on Inside Speedway. We're looking forward to next week, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how motor racing continues to uh, develop and how all different aspects come to the fore as we uh, get set for, uh, well, the next page. And I guess really now we're talking about next season, not wrapping up this season at all. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all
2: looking to the future that's exactly right and and we still are uncertain what the future holds literally going further down the track I'm talking months you know uh, when we will actually get back to normal get ready for the, for the next upcoming you know, the next season yeah it's you know worrying times at the moment in, in the world it really is not only for the sport but everybody well
1: On that down note, we'll leave you this week on Inside Supercar.
2: Well, well, hang on. We won't finish on a down note. (laughs) Just tell Alan to get get the showground side up and running and he's got to start us straight
1: away. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week, keep smiling and bye for now.
0: For more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine. On sale now.